Hello and welcome to Corbett's Comments. I'm Dr. Otis Corbett and I invite you to come along with me as I share biblical exposition and commentary. I truly believe that God's Word is one of our greatest helps as we live for Him in the world today. And so like the psalmist, let us agree to hide His Word in our hearts that we may not sin against Him. Hello, I'm Otis Corbett, and today I want to share a word about the Master of Salvation from Luke chapter 24. This comes from a sermon preached at Brooks Baptist Church on April 9th, 2023. Well, I'm glad to be with you this uh, Easter morning, and if you will, turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, we're really, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to follow on with the, the scriptures that you looked at uh, in your uh, early service, in your sunrise service, and I'm, I'm glad to be able to be here to look at this passage of scripture. I bring you greetings from the Covington Baptist Association, the other 51 churches that uh, go all the way down to Haycota. Uh, in the south part of the county and all the way over to the uh, county line on the east part of the county with West County Line Baptist Church and then uh, all the way to uh, almost to Brooklyn there with uh, Mobley Creek Baptist Church. We, we cover quite a bit of area and we're glad to be able to all worship together uh, in church this Easter Sunday morning. And today I want to share a word from Luke chapter 24 about the master of salvation. The master of salvation. My father was a uh, heavy truck mechanic for all the time I knew him. And even before that, he worked for the same company for 39 years. And um, my dad, as a mechanic, as a person... uh, learned how to do a lot of stuff because he grew up during the Depression era. And so he learned to do a lot of things from his family. He learned a lot of things uh, by himself during that time. But he also learned during that time to be frugal. My father was a very frugal man. And uh, I remember very clearly uh, when I was a, a child, my mother and father Uh, having a long debate one night about buying an electronic calculator so they could do their taxes. Now, that calculator was about the size of this Bible, right? And it plugged into the wall, and it was expensive in its day, uh, but they debated. It was sort of like buying a computer today. Some people might debate buying an expensive computer. Well, they were debating buying this account because my father was very frugal, and he liked to save things. In fact, he never threw away a screw or a nut or anything like that. I mean, a washer. And my dad had a big wooden box where he had stashed all of that stuff. It was the size of a footlocker, a big old wooden uh, ammunition crate, I believe it was, that he had scavenged from somebody somewhere. And I remember very clearly he would, if he needed a screw or a nut for a project, he would get um, an old scrap of a 
of a cloth tarpaulin. Now, I'm not talking about one of the cheap ones you got, but I mean an old scrap of an old cloth tarpaulin, and he would lay that out, and he would take that wooden box, and he would tip it over, and he'd go through all those things he had saved, and he would find what he needed, and then he'd pack it all back up until the next time. And my father saved things like coffee cans. If you ever needed a coffee can for my project, my dad had a coffee can. Now, my, my wife has gotten concerned about me in recent years because I've been starting to save things like coffee cans and that kind of stuff. And I've had to throw some of them out because she, she was afraid I was starting to be a hoarder. But I get it from my dad because my dad was good at saving things that might be useful someday down in the future. Well, our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, came to seek and save that which was lost. He was the master of salvation. He was the master of our salvation. And on this Easter Sunday morning, on this morning as we worship together, we're going to see Jesus as the master of salvation. Turn with me again to Luke 24. And we're going to begin this morning by reading verses 13 through 24. Again, this follows on from the scriptures you looked at earlier today. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass, while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communication are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said, answering said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? And hast thou not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he that he should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since things, these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying they had seen a vision of the angels which said he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the woman had said, but him they saw not. Father, we pray today that you bless us with your scriptures. Father, we pray that you help us to see from your word, Jesus, our savior, the master of our salvation. And we pray, Father, that as we see him teach us this today, that he would be our true rabbi, our true master, the one that teaches us what we need to know about Easter, about salvation, and about our relationship with him. Bless us now, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, 
What we see as we very uh, in this very first passage of scripture we're going to read today from Luke 24 is we see some surprised disciples. See, after the crucifixion, the disciples were defeated and they were demoralized. Even actually before the crucifixion, they were defeated and demoralized. You see, they had been so excited about celebrating Passover in Jerusalem. I was recently preaching about this uh, before uh, the the, uh, the cross. And, and for the disciples, it was like going to the Super Bowl, if you're a football fan, or the national championship. Or if you're a Christian today, maybe going to... Uh, uh, the Holy Land and going to Bethlehem and celebrate Christmas. It was something so exciting. It was the highlight of their life to that day. And they were shocked. They were dismayed. They were upset and surprised by Judas and his betrayal of Jesus. They'd been frightened by his arrest and by his trial. And when he was crucified on the cross, they were more than surprised and they were more than saddened that they were shattered. Their faith was destroyed because of what they had seen. They saw something they never expected to see and it just destroyed their faith. And because of their shattered faith, these disciples scattered. They went to the four winds. Some of them, these two, went to Emmaus. They were leaving town. Some of them were holed up in the upper room. The doors were shut and barred and they were hiding out in a place they hoped was safe from the Jews and the Romans. Later on, we see if we look at the scriptures that Peter decided, I'm going fishing. You know, when you when you are in trouble, you go with what you know. And Peter was a fisherman and he's just going to go back to what he was comfortable with. Thomas, the doubting disciple, Thomas just disappeared. Nobody knew where Thomas went. He had a bolt hole and he went there and he found it and he was hiding. Now these two that were on the way to Emmaus, they were met by Jesus and they were discussing these events. They were talking about it. That's what we do, you know. When someone has a situation in their life, they talk about it, they tell their story until they're finished telling about it. And then when they're finished telling about it, they don't talk about it anymore. I remember very clearly once when I was uh, a little bit younger than I am now, uh, several years ago, I was in a traffic accident in Montgomery. It wasn't my fault. I was sitting in traffic and a guy came up and hit me from behind and pushed me into a pickup truck. So both of my ends of my car were like an accordion. The front was crushed and the back was crushed. And I talked about that. If I had not seen you since that had happened, I was going to tell you about it. And finally, I ran out of people to tell. Everybody knew about it. <laughs> and that's the way the disciples were. These two, these followers of Jesus were talking about what was happening. And when Jesus came upon them, Jesus said, what's all this about? And they were surprised. They were surprised because surely everybody knew what was going on in town. They, they looked at Jesus and they basically said, you ain't from around here, are you? 
because they surely, everybody knew what was happening. And of course, Jesus knew what was happening as well. But you see, what Jesus wanted to do was use this as a teaching moment because you see, they didn't understand what was happening. They had seen it with their own eyes. They had heard the stories from others and they were just at a loss. They had no idea what these things meant. They were surprised. They were surprised by the betrayal. They were surprised by the trial. They were surprised by the scourging. They were surprised by the cross. They were surprised by the resurrection. But next we see that Jesus had a superior explanation. Look at verse 25. You see, when, when people are surprised, they talk and they try to come up with a solution. A few, a few years ago, I was in a situation where uh, someone that people knew had committed suicide. He had gotten in trouble at work and he, was, he had committed suicide. And the people at work were talking about all kinds of stuff surrounding this man and somebody else and what happened and what. And the boss said, look, we got to stop this rumor mongering. We've got to stop this. And he was very upset. And so I went to him later and said, think about it this way. These aren't rumors so much as people are trying to figure out what went wrong. They're trying to get a handle on it because they knew these people. They knew both of them. They knew, the, and, and they could, how did it go so bad? That's what they want to know. And the boss said, okay, I understand that. Well, Jesus was in the same situation with the disciples. They wanted to know, how did this thing go so bad? Jesus was so wonderful. Everybody loved Jesus. On the day of Palm Sunday, there was a hue and cry and people were throwing down their coats and they were waving palm thorns and then all of a sudden now he's dead and someone's taking his body. What is going on? Luke 25 says, O fools and slow of heart, believe that all the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory. And beginning at the Moses at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh to the village where they whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent, and he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meal with them, he took bread and brake it and blessed it and break it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the way and while he opened with us the scriptures. We see Jesus being not only the master of salvation today, but we see him being the master teacher. Now Jesus was called rabbi because rabbi was teacher and he wanted people to understand the truth. And he today wants people to have the saving knowledge of him that they need. Because what he knew, as he said in, in uh, the scriptures, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. These folks wanted to know the truth. 
They were genuinely confused. And today, many people are confused spiritually as well. All you have to do is be on social media and you see all kinds of spiritual ideas. But even before that, there were plenty of spiritual ideas uh, 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 around in the world in any case. But here's the thing. He said, uh, you need to know the truth. And he then went to the scriptures from the beginning and started to teach them all that they should have already known. We need to remember something about Jesus and the New Testament or the New, the New Testament church, the early church. The early church did not have the same total Bible that we had. The new church, the early church, was writing the Bible as they went. The Bible that they had was the Old Testament. And Jesus said, if you understand the Old Testament and you know me, you know everything you need to know to find salvation. Because here's the thing. He says you need to know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, what is truth? Truth is not a philosophy of life. Truth is not an abstract concept. Truth is not a system of belief. Truth is not a list of principles. Truth is much simpler than that. You see, there's this this idea that, that the simplest answer is usually the correct one. That's something called Occam's Razor. Occam's Razor says that usually the simplest solution is usually the best solution. Usually, if you know anything about tools, the simplest tools usually work better than the most complicated tools. A lot of times, the simplest recipes work better than the most complicated recipes. There's a saying, when you hear hoof beats, think horses, not zebras, right? Simple things usually are the best things. Jesus said very simply in John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. So instead of complex theories, instead of conspiracy theories, if we want to look at it in the 21st century concept, what they needed was the Savior. They didn't need to understand all the concepts of why the the Jews rebelled against Jesus and why they changed their heart. They didn't need to understand the legal concepts of why the Romans were the ones that had to put Jesus to death and how God worked it out so that almost all of known humanity at that time, including the Samaritans, were responsible for the death of our Savior and Lord. They didn't have to know that. What they had to know was there was a Savior who suffered and died for them. What they had to know was there was a Savior who rose from the dead for them. And what they needed to know was a Savior who could warm their hearts. Now, no doubt, they were a little embarrassed at the situation they were in. I don't know, men, if you've ever done this before. But I had a time a while ago when we were in the grocery store and uh, I had wandered away from Jerry to find something to, to put in the basket and uh, somebody pulled up a basket behind me and it 
I could tell from hearing it was a lady, and I could tell from hearing it was a grocery cart. And so I turned around and I plopped something into some poor strange lady's grocery cart. <laughs> have you ever done something like that? Yeah. Have you ever, men, even worse, come up behind somebody who you thought was your wife and gave them a peck on the neck? I've done that almost once. Almost. Almost. It's embarrassing when you don't recognize someone that you should know. These disciples were embarrassed. You know what's more embarrassing than what they experienced, though? If you never recognize who your Savior is. If you never go through life recognizing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And you cross over into eternity without recognizing your Savior. That's much worse than anything else. What we also see besides a superior explanation is we see some scared sinners. Let's look at verse uh, 30, Verse 33. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered there and with them uh, and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things that were done in the way and how it was known of him in the breaking of bread. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in their midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, why are you troubled? And why do you, uh, why do you thoughts arise? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, bones as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were yet, uh, while they had yet believed not for joy and wondered what he, he said unto them, have you ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of, of a broiled fish and a honeycomb and he took it and he ate before them. What we see in the upper room were a group of scared sinners. Now, we need to remember who these folks were. We know what they became in the rest of the New Testament. We know their ministries. We know that they all died as martyrs for the cause of Christ. But at the time that we see them here, they were just folks like you and I. They were just regular, ordinary people. Some were fishermen, and fishermen in that day were sort of rough people. They weren't quite like shepherds. Shepherds were really rough, but they weren't quite, but they were pretty rough people. They worked out in the open, and they they were on a stormy sea. Um, some other people had different work. Someone like, like Matthew was a traitor to his own people because he worked for the oppressive Romans. Jesus himself was the son of a carpenter. Now, that has a couple of different things that might impact you. You might know a carpenter, someone who works with wood and builds buildings. But in those days, Joseph, the carpenter, would have worked on equipment because everything was made of wood. Plows were made of wood. Wagons were made of wood. Wheels were made of wood. Axles were made of wood. So in a way, Joseph was a mechanic. 
just like my daddy. And I know mechanics can be pretty rough people too. But none of these folks were what I would call opinion leaders. They were not uh, people who had influence in society. And in fact, they came from what was considered to be a backwards and rebellious part of the country. You know anybody like that? Now, in Israel, the country was flip-flopped from the United States. The south part of the country was where Jerusalem was. That was the sophisticated capital. And the north part was the hinterlands, the, the backwoods. And, of course, in, in America, it sort of flip-flopped. Down south, we are considered to be rough and uncouth and uneducated. Uh, so if there's any group of people in the United States that could relate to these disciples, it should be us. They were nobody in particular. And so are we. And I sort of like it that way. And when Jesus came in their midst, they were scared. They were scared because they finally understood he was different. (laughs) He was the son of a carpenter, but he was also the son of God. And in him was the essence of God because he was God and they were scared. They also knew that they had really betrayed him. All of them had run away. And remember, Thomas hadn't come back yet. They were frightened. And frankly, we would have been frightened too. When we look back in Isaiah, And Isaiah says that he was a man of unclean lips. He knew his sin. He knew his limitations. And in front of Jesus, we all know our limitations. But listen, I've been talking about the disciples, but what we need to understand here is this is not about the disciples. This is about Jesus coming to the disciples. You see, they were nobody important. They were smelly fishermen and they were rebellious people and and they were traitors and they were scared and they had run away and they had betrayed him and yet Jesus came to them and he saw fit to come in their midst and to talk to them and to bless them. What did he say when he came in? Peace. So we see some scared sinners here. But finally, we see a sufficient Savior. Look at verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which was written in in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tear ye in the city of Jerusalem, until ye be endued with power from on high. 
Jesus is the sufficient Savior. He's sufficient because He fulfilled the law. Jesus said, I didn't come to, the, to abolish the law. I came to satisfy the law. He satisfied the law by His life. He lived a perfect life. He satisfied the law by His sacrificial death. He satisfied the law by rising from the dead and completing all of this work. He fulfilled the law in a way that we are incapable of doing for ourselves. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. I'm talking about my daddy a lot today. When I was a teenager, still at home, I had a device that I was using and I somehow broke it. And I brought it to my dad and uh, I said, because my dad could fix anything. And he looked at it and he said, I don't know how to fix this. And I said, Dad, you, you can fix everything. You just don't want to fix this. And he said, boy. <laughs> and right there, I, whenever I knew I went too far. He said, boy, you don't remember, but years ago, when you were a child, I bought you your first, I don't know why I thought of this. But he said, I bought you your first train set when you were a baby. In fact, you were so small on that Christmas when I bought you that train set, I had to put the train set together. You were so small when, uh, on that first time I bought you that train set that I had to put the train together and put it on the tracks. And in fact, you were so small, I had to turn the switch on for you for it to run. Basically, my dad was saying everything that he had done for me all those years, I had forgotten all that. We can't forget that Jesus has done for us those things that we can't do for ourselves. I couldn't put that train track together, but I also couldn't save myself from our sin, my sin because He fulfilled the law. He is sufficient. He is sufficient also because He gave us freedom from our sins. He relieved us from that debt of sin. I, I'm very impressed by the by the parable of the unforgiving servant, the one who had so much debt that he could never pay it back. And then when he was actually forgiven of that debt, he didn't believe it, and he went out and took his fellow servant by the neck and said, give me what you owe me. He was so afraid that his master would change his mind that he went and abused a fellow and put him in jail. But when we are in Jesus, all of our debts are paid. When we are in Jesus, we are freed from the power of sin. When we are in Jesus, we have the ability to live a life that is an abundant life here on earth. And finally, Jesus is sufficient because he sent us the helper. He says, I'm going to send the helper up the promise of my father. I send to upon you. He sent us the Holy Spirit to write his law on our hearts the way he said he would in the Old Testament. He sent us the Holy Spirit to help us live out our life without sin or as little sin as humanly possible. He sent us the Holy Spirit to give us authority for being a witness. A lot of times we as Christians criticize the Old Testament Jews for missing out the message of God. We could criticize the disciples on Emmaus Road for for missing out the, 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 the truth of God. We can 
criticize the disciples hiding in the upper room. But you know what? They didn't have the Holy Spirit. We couldn't, shouldn't criticize them because without the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't be able to understand these things either. Here's the thing we need to see. Jesus is the master of salvation. He was the master of salvation for these disciples and he is the master of salvation for us. He offers it to us. And here's the thing. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And the question that comes today is, have you met this truth? If you've met him or not, it doesn't matter. He is still the truth. Has your heart been warmed by his presence in your life? He is still there waiting to warm it if you would accept it. Have you allowed him to save you from your sins? You see, that's what Easter is all about. I would tell you the truth. Everyone loves Christmas, and I understand why. Christmas is a wonderful time of the year. But without Easter, Christmas wouldn't make any difference. Because Easter is what made Jesus the master of salvation. And Easter is what's offering us the chance to be saved from our sins. My daddy loved to save stuff. He loved to save stuff. Jesus does too. And he would love to save you today if you've never received his power in your life. But also, <clears throat> my daddy loved his family. And he loved to be around his family. And you know what about Jesus? He loves to be around family too. Be sure to worship him today. Be sure to love him today. And be sure to take that love with you when you go back to work tomorrow, when you go to the doctor tomorrow, when you go to school tomorrow, when you go out to the field tomorrow, take the love of Jesus with you because he is the master of all of our salvations and he deserves to be loved and he deserves to have time with us. Father, I thank you for Easter Sunday. I thank you, Father, for the opportunity to come and worship you in this place. And I thank you, Father, for what I have seen here already today, because really this reminds me of what I've read in the scriptures. People rising early to meet you on Easter. People fellowshipping with you around the table and people worshiping you as their master. And I pray, Father, that if there's someone here who had not done those things, who does not understand that you provide us access to you through Jesus Christ, that they have heard the rumors, but they don't know the person. They've heard the stories, but they don't know the truth. I pray today that they would do so. And I pray that it would happen now in Jesus' name. Amen. for listening. I'll be back soon to comment on more scripture that we can consider together to help us in our everyday lives. Every blessing. I'm Dr. Otis Corbett.